0: welcome everybody you are listening to the long overdue podcast coming from decatur texas and decatur public library so you're here today with pat and sorry let's do that again pat hello (laughs) chris hello denise hello and we have a special guest today, um, April Smith, who is my sister. You have yes. a sister? I do have a sister. She's my baby sister. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, so the reason why we brought April in today was so that we could talk about some of her experiences with overseas travel and work. And just kind of get some more information, maybe give people an idea of some of the things that they can do. Um, Because until she started doing this, I had no idea some of the jobs that are available. So,
1: yeah. And if all else fails, just tell us some really interesting stories. Mm -hmm. I'm Uh, sure you've got 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 some.
2: I was just going to say, though, don't tell us anything that you have to kill us afterward.
0: Yeah. Like, Noted.
2: Is that the kind
1: of jobs that you do?
0: But, uh, you know, that's the first thing. Very curious, that's the first place like? my brain goes when I'm
2: thinking overseas travel and work.
1: That's because Pat want, secretly wants to be a spy. Well, it's not a, a secret. secret. Right,
0: it's not a secret. <laughs> I think that she said it on several episodes at this yeah.
1: point.
0: Well, the other thing is that she is going through... Um, security clearances at this point. So she probably really would have to kill you. (laughs) Possibility. Just kidding. JK. (laughs) Okay, Okay. So we need to get this started. So why don't you tell us what degree you have? We'll start with that.
3: Okay. So I have my bachelor's degree in Spanish and my master's degree is in TESOL. It's teaching English to speakers of other languages, focusing on teaching people from other countries that speak Spanish or French or Filipino or whatever language, teaching them English.
0: So that's really hard. I mean, you don't speak those other languages.
3: No, I speak some Spanish, some French, um, but for the most part in my classroom, we don't use other languages, we use English. English only so we all communicate the best we can using gestures and facial expressions and whatever we can to get through
0: the lesson but for the most part it is all English that's just fascinating to me so what what is really fascinating I think also is that you have been on the other side of that because you have gone to other countries where you don't speak the language I have yes and did you go through um, classes there? What? How did you do that? So I have lived both in Mexico
3: and in Niger, which is a French-speaking country, where very few people, well, I shouldn't say in Mexico, very few people speak English. But in the French-speaking country, um, they did not speak English. And it is a challenge trying to figure out... My first challenge anywhere I go is, how do I get a large bottle of water? <laughs> um, and where's the
0: bathroom? How do I get food? And how do I communicate that with the people that are there? Okay, so I've just got to say, she is my sister, but I would never do that.
3: I mean, like our personalities,
0: <laughs> I mean, I would like freak out.
3: Well, and there is a difference because you have traveled to other countries, but but the difference is is that I've done it by myself. Off I go and, yeah, have to figure out, where do I get food?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and what kind of food are
3: you getting? And what kind of food we're getting into. Yes, that has been... A definite challenge. Sometimes, I have a story. If we're ready for that, (laughs) sure, it might be too early. (laughs) Um, So, in the Philippines, I lived there for a year in 2017. Well, it was closer to 10 months, but one day I really just wanted something normal, and I went to the food stands on my university campus, and there were a couple of example. Things sitting on the counter, and the one looked, it was kind of like a chicken strip, but it was breaded and fried. And so I said, So what's that? And she said, That's chicken. And then the next one was these balls that were also breaded and fried. And I'm like, What's that? And she said, Those are squid balls. And I'm like, Okay, I think I'm going to go with chicken today. Like, I'm wanting, not that I haven't tried a lot of things. Mm But that day I I was just feeling like I wanted something normal. And so I asked for the chicken. And so I take them back to my office and I go to eat them and I take a bite and I look at it and I'm like, that is not chicken. Come to find out after discussing with some coworkers, it was actually, it was chicken, but it was the chicken intestine that had been wrapped on the stick and, Battered and deep fried—that <laughs> like, is not the normal I was looking for. Um, but for them, that was just like a common thing that they get yeah. at the at the concession counter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was
2: you learn to ask more questions. Right,
3: which is not necessarily something they want because a lot of people like when you're asking too many questions they're like, "Can't you just eat it?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Really no." So, did you eat it? I did eat it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was what I had for lunch. Oh, so, So, yeah.
0: what did it taste like? Not chicken? Yeah, (laughs) i mean
3: really it was so tiny um like it was basically the size of like your um like your cord for your phone or something so Uh the actual meat in it was not very big okay wait a minute okay (laughs) that's just grossing me out (laughs) (laughs) so there was meat well, and it's a chicken intestine. I'm calling you, it meat. I mean, technically, generously. it is, isn't it a muscle
0: of sorts? <laughs> mm-hmm. So technically, Still it meat? is a meat. So it's, it, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm just envisioning like the casing that they use for sausage and hot dogs and that no. kind of stuff. So I was kind of like, what is it stuffed with? Not stuffed at all. So imagine if you took your
3: phone cord and took the wires out of the middle and it's hollow. That's about what it looked like.
2: I'm guessing they cleaned it.
3: Yes. <laughs> so that's I've, kind of, <laughs> I've seen that done with larger animals uh-huh. also in another country um, <laughs> where they cleaned the yeah. intestines. I didn't get to eat those. That was, you know, a different meal. Um <laughs> But yeah, I actually asked my host at that time, "What are we having for lunch today?" And he said, "Oh, the innards, because we were butchering sheep that day." Um, <laughs> interesting story. That's a. <laughs> I could take you yep. off on that one too. So, <laughs> do you want to hear that one? I, well. Butchering sheep? Sure. Okay, so... (laughs) which country was this? I was going to say, going to a different country. This is West Africa, um, and it's in Niger, and Niger is an Islamic country for the most part. So they celebrate um, Tabaski, and Tabaski is the celebration of the time that um, Abraham and Isaac went to the altar, and... He was going to sacrifice Abraham, but then the sheep came, and they slaughtered the ram for the sacrifice. So they do a celebration for that. Mm -hmm. And what they do is on Sunday, they slaughter a sheep or a goat, depending on what they can afford, and they roast them on a fire outside. And it's not even really roasting them. It's more drying it because they they put it on across like like an x okay and they put the spears through the body of mm-hmm. the sheep and they lean it up against a pole against the fire so it's more drying it and mm-hmm. it's hot outside so you know they leave it there for like 10 hours and then share the meat all over i think they're supposed to share a certain percentage of mm-hmm. the meat with somebody that needs it and so um that's what they do. So I went and I told them, I want to see how this happens. Like, what is this celebration? So I had been in Niger for about four days when this happened. Again, my first trip to Africa, my first trip to overseas, really. And I went to this celebration and this family invited me in. And we're sitting there and they went through the process of... Um, butchering the sheep and i think they had
0: they had four or five so that's not a problem for you because we kind of grew up on a farm kind of thing and so yeah we've butchered animals and it's not really so So it wasn't anything
3: that i was like oh my goodness i could see some people this is not a vegetarian friendly Mm -hmm. um event that you want to attend um but for me it was not an issue at all. I was really curious to see what they did. And so they did, um, they butchered the sheep and then all of the meat, like from the entire sheep was being used and the women were sitting over on the side and they were the ones that were cleaning the intestines. Mm. And so I don't know if you know how long intestines are, but even in sheep, (coughs) excuse me, they're very long and, it's kind of gross, but they were full <laughs> mm-hmm. and they were cleaning them out. And so I saw that and I asked my friend and that was when I asked him, I'm like, so what do they do with the innards? And he said, oh, that's what we have for lunch today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good.
0: Okay. So explain innards. So is that like the heart, the liver, that kind of stuff yes. or the inside of the intestine?
3: No. Okay. The heart, <laughs> liver, the- I like. That's really gross. You know, all okay. of the stuff inside the sheep. So all of the organs, all of that. And so they were preparing that. And I am I am not the type of person that likes organ meat, you know, even growing up on a farm. It was not something I've seen it done. I've seen it cooked, but it was never on my list of things I wanted to do. So when he said that's what we were having for lunch, I was like, oh, yay. Having been in the country for four days... I was like, okay, like, this is me, this is my cultural experience, I need to be respectful, Mm -hmm. and my mother would tell me, if you've been invited to go eat, (laughs) you shut up, you eat it, (laughs) and you say
0: thank you, and that's, I did not, luckily... My mother did not teach me that, by the way. um,
3: (laughs) She tried. Um, She did. You were in the car with me, I remember. Um, But anyway, so he told me this, and I was, you know, kind of nervous about it. Luckily, the only thing they did serve me was liver, um, which is on my definite I do not like list. So.
0: So you didn't have to eat any of the rest of it.
3: No, but I did have to eat liver. And, is, I yeah, I and I smiled and I said,
0: thank you, and said it was delicious.
3: Again, luckily, his wife had served us a giant breakfast like two hours before, and, which was chicken and rice. And so I was like, oh, I'm so full. <laughs> um, after I <laughs> ate like two bites of liver that I'm just like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? But it was an amazing experience just to be there and see that. So, yes, eating weird foods all over the place different cultures different things are normal so
0: okay so you um said you lived in mexico you lived in Niger, which is in africa yes and you mentioned the philippines yes so you um manila yes okay um what were you doing there why were you there So, Other than experiencing the culture. (laughs) Okay, and the other foreign country I've lived in is Canada,
3: just to throw that in there. That's right, you did, Um, I forgot. A lot more similar. Um, So when I was in Niger and the Philippines, I was doing something. It's a fellowship with the State Department, Mm -hmm. which is specifically for English teachers. And there's about... Last time I checked, it was about 157 English language fellows that were sent out around the world to do different projects, either teaching English directly, working with teacher training. Um, I had a friend who actually worked with the Supreme Court of the country he was in, Mm -hmm. teaching them English, and um, he has a background in law, so it was a really good fit for him. Um, And we work a lot with universities, in the various countries. So my specific projects were mostly teacher training. So I worked with pre-service teachers and training them to teach English and sometimes in-service teachers and just making them better and teaching them some things that maybe we do here that they don't necessarily know how to do or don't have the ability to do yet, Um, meaning like technology or um, materials helping them with that sort of issue.
0: So one of the things in Africa when you were there was the internet connections.
3: Yes, or lack thereof. (laughs) So when I was in Africa, um, to give you an example of how good the internet is, if you were to try to download a TV show, for example, um, many times you'll download and it'll come up and say... Um, three hours till open. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really long download. And you're like, okay, there it would be four days until open. Wow. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so it's really slow.
0: And that's if you didn't lose a connection.
3: Exactly. And the connection went out all the time, not just because the internet was spotty, but also the electricity was spotty. Mm -hmm. So anything goes wrong and you've lost that connection and you had to start again. So for the most part, we just couldn't download any sort of movie you couldn't stream or anything like that. So a lot of people had um, accounts where they could, whenever we left the country, um, we would buy all sorts of TV shows (laughs) and download, and then we would share um, amongst us, like, hey, can I borrow your um, hard drive? I want to watch NCIS. And so (laughs) we'd Hmm. do that. I hope that's legal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As
2: long as you're not selling
3: it. No, we were not selling it. Not that there wouldn't have been a market (laughs) because people really wanted it.
0: So, internet was difficult, but what was the ranking of the countries that you went to? What do you mean? Um, As far as poverty level.
3: Um, poverty level is so, and I do apologize. I am leaving out Mexico here because my experience in Mexico was completely different, and mm-hmm. um, that was more as a student, as a tourist. I did teach there, but it was completely different. Um, in the Philippines and in Niger, so the poverty level um, in Niger. Average GDP is eight hundred and twenty dollars. Mm. In the Philippines, it's nine thousand, okay. which is, I think, about what I could tell my coworkers were making per year. Mm. In the United States, it's thirty-one. So that kind of gives you an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Niger is one of the poorest countries in the world. So they do not have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of infrastructure. In a way, um, so they were colonized by France, mm-hmm. um, gained their independence, but because of where they are, I think they were largely forgotten as far as building up infrastructure. If you go to some other colonized countries, um, they have a lot better systems in place and Niger just didn't get a lot of that. Hmm. So it's hard there and getting internet and getting stable electricity, all of their electricity comes from a neighboring country. Um, Yeah. So actually I should say about 80% of their electricity comes from another country, but that just means that you're now reliant on that other country Mm -hmm. when they need electricity or they have an issue Niger's left out and so there were days that we just didn't have electricity
0: so and it was hot all the time except in like December January Mm -hmm. yes so
3: um the temperature in the summer months from about April until August is well over 100 you were happy for a day that was 104 and when it was 112 you're like yep it's hot when you touch your car door it could actually burn you Mm. Mm. that sort of (laughs) you learn to open your car and let the hot air out (laughs) as (laughs) far as it will go out and yeah and most people don't have electricity or have access to air conditioning so the average person doesn't live with air conditioning.
0: So. You think about that in Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We would not go without air conditioning. (laughs) And in the Philippines, it's largely the same. I think a lot more
3: people do have access to um, air conditioning, especially in the city where I was. Uh, I think outside of the city, it's much different. I think there's a lot less access to those sorts of things. Um, They also had some electricity problems, but not nearly the extent that Niger had and theirs are often because of weather related things such as typhoons where you're just getting so much rain the power lines
0: come down etc so one of the concerns when you went over to Af- Africa for your family was your safety By the way. <laughs> I'm sure I know this. <laughs> we talked about it and they're they're right there were Genuine concerns. So, can you talk a little bit about some of the issues, or I mean, you don't have to go into detail. Or
3: let's talk about the first thing that actually kind of made me happy when I first went to Africa. It was right in the um, midst of the Ebola crisis, Mm -hmm. and so when I looked at CNN, reported that Nigeria had Ebola. But on the map that they showed, they actually showed Niger, not Nigeria. So I was a little confused. I'm like, okay, where is it really? And that's the thing. They got confused and put the wrong picture on the map. But um, I know my sister, who's sitting right here, um, <laughs> was very concerned about this. Um, that I was going to this area, this region that had the Ebola crisis. Um Luckily, Niger never got Ebola. Um, and so later we were talking about this. And you learn that Ebola, the biggest problem with Ebola in West Africa was um, that the families, there's a tradition of washing your dead. Mm. And Ebola is largely um, shared by touching mm-hmm. bodies and so that was a big thing. And then you have scary people in hazmat suits coming in and taking away bodies. Well, when you've never seen a healthcare worker in a hazmat suit, mm-hmm. it makes you afraid of healthcare workers. And so people were like avoiding them and so it it was a big crisis. But it was kind of funny because shortly thereafter I was talking to my sister who lives near Dallas. <laughs> And come to find out. There was actually a case of Ebola in Dallas. So she was closer to it than <laughs> I was. I would have had to have taken a flight for, you know, four or five hours to get to where that was, at, at least. And she was, you know, an hour away. So she's then asking, okay, so what do I have to be concerned about? And I'm like, just don't touch people. I'm um, like, done. <laughs> and that's pretty much <laughs> right. the thing. Like, you just don't touch people. And I wasn't in a field medically, mm-hmm. like, I was never, unless I came, went out into a random village and it just happened to be there. I wasn't going to come into contact with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the likelihood was pretty low. I wasn't, I wasn't there for medical purposes like helping
0: people. So That's I was right. pretty safe for the most part. So, and then the other thing that that was kind of freaky is the. Um, procedure for evacuation emergency evacuation something like that I'm
3: I'm not really sure what you're referring to
0: well the fact that you have a plan that you have a secret phone call that says (laughs) go here it's all like there was like
3: I was informed when actually in both places because Um, with the fellowship, we worked very closely with the U.S. embassies. Mm -hmm. um, Because our fellowship was under the Department of State, Mm -hmm. we were um, in contact. Like, I had a point of contact at the embassy, and I was under their care. Um, So they wanted to make sure that I was safe. I was definitely non-essential. So if anything happened, I was going to be the first one um, told to leave. Mm -hmm. But We did have to have a plan because um, in Niger and in the Philippines, there are um, many um, possibilities or chances for violent extremism. Mm -hmm. And being a foreigner, especially in those countries, you stick out and are a potential, like, um, I don't know. It could be, like, an asset, I guess, for somebody that wanted to kidnap. Like there were kidnappings that happened in Niger. There, um, In the Philippines, there was a bombing about two miles away from me. Um, there were things that happened. And so there was a plan. What do you do? I think in the Philippines, we were more afraid of earthquakes. Mm. And that sort of thing. Like, where do I go? What do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, but in Niger, it was more violent extremism. If something happens, um, Niger, you also have to know, is surrounded by countries that have violent extremist groups. Mm-hmm. Um, in the east side of Niger, you have Boko Haram. Um, up north, you have al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Um, there's isis on the west side in Mali, and um, so there's a lot of these groups that are in and around there we were not allowed to travel outside of the city without permission and without um, security procedures mm-hmm. um, just because it was unsafe to do so so they made sure that we were taken care of but then you also have issues i was there for the election and I don't know if you've ever followed any sort of politics in Africa, but elections can get volatile really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have attempted coups, they have all sorts of things. Um, I was there the day that one of the former presidents returned to the capital city. Mm. Um, he was, it, it's a really long story, but he was. Um, opposing the current president in the upcoming election. And there were some um, legal issues that he was having. So when he returned, there was a lot of protests and there was um, gas in the air because they had used tear gas to disperse people. There were protests in the street. Um, Often students would protest doing things. And it was dangerous to be out and about. So we would have um, days that we were told, do not leave your house. Oh. And we were just careful to make sure that you always had food and water in your home and gasoline for your generator if you needed it, that sort of thing, to make sure that you could stay inside um, for multiple days if necessary. And usually it didn't have to be multiple days. That only happened one time. Um, which was a completely different situation, but we were shelter in place for about three days at that time before they felt that it was safe because there's just a lot going on that has nothing to do with us as foreigners, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people get in trouble just being in the crossfire. Mm -hmm. And so you are just told, stay in your house. They are not going to bother you, which is mostly true. They don't really want to bother anybody that's there visiting they're doing it amongst themselves. They're Mm -hmm. upset with their own government or Mm -hmm. something that's happening there. So yeah, I actually had friends that were in country for coups that happened. Um, My one friend was in a neighboring country and she was talking about the gunshots that she could hear from her house. Um, Another girl, she was in um, Burundi when they had a coup and she was on the university campus and was to the point where she was afraid to leave. So finally somebody talked her into calling someone and they're like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get you out of there for now. And so she was on the next flight the next day they closed the airports. So wow. you know it was a situation where it could get dangerous, but mm-hmm. for the most part um, you know those situations and you know how to stay away from them and you know how to recognize them. Instead of saying, hey, what's going on over there? Why are all those people over there? You say, I'm going to go this other way and hear about it later. (laughs) But yeah, it had nothing to do with us. It was just, like I said, oftentimes you just walk into something and you don't know you're there. But for the most part,
0: in Niger, I felt very, very safe. Um, So, which is really interesting. I think she um, seemed to make a lot more friends in Africa. And just the culture was more friendly than in the Philippines. And
3: I have some, like, theories about that. There's no, like, reasons. Like, I can't look up why that is. But I think population um, had a big... Population and isolation Mm -hmm. both have a big... um, Are big factors in that. When I was in Niger... um, Everyone there was very excited to have me. There weren't that many. Nobody goes to Niger. Niger is a very poor country. We don't
2: even know it's there. We think it's Nigeria. Exactly. (laughs) Right.
3: Well, and there has been strife there, and there have been, like, warnings. Do not travel there. You cannot go there without a visa that you've pre-approved. And you have to have a reason. Right. Um, you don't just go vacationing that there. It's not a tourist. Change. Right. It okay. is not a tourist destination. Not that they don't have amazing <laughs> things to see and do. Um, right now, it's just not a destination. Mm-hmm. And so, plus it's hard to get there. So the people there were very open and very kind and welcoming and everybody wanted to talk to me and i had friends all over the place and like they were just amazing um in the philippines i also had like amazing people there but the difference was is in the philippines there are so many people that it's almost like You've got to fight for attention. And plus, there are so many tourists. And so they're like, you're just another one of those. And so it's just a different aspect. And I feel like that's why there was a difference in like the number and the closeness of the friends that I had. I did have some good friends in the Philippines, but it was much different making them there than it was in
0: Niger. So, so um, she did tell me about a friend who had a pizza shop, and yes. um, he made some very creative pizzas. He did. So um, <laughs> his favorite that he always ordered for me...
3: I wonder if um, Chris is going to like this one. I don't know. <laughs> well, and just, pizza? No. Okay. just so you know. Scorpion pizza? No, but I'll, I'm going to throw that out to him next time <laughs> I talk to him. Email him. him. Be like, um, hey. <laughs> so he is actually um, also an expat in that country he's not from there and so he opened this pizza shop and it's really hard to find a good pizza and so he is making these wonderful pizzas but also his favorite that he would order for me was the tuna fish pizza um (laughs) which was really canned tuna. We're in Niger. It's landlocked, and 80% of it is Sahara Desert. So it's not like you have fresh tuna fish, Um, which was interesting, but I actually came to appreciate it. The one that I did not appreciate that he loved the most was the liver pizza. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. The foie, as they would say in French. So, yes. But people ordered
0: it people liked it again different cultures they appreciate different things and didn't you you said some. oh sorry Chris. go ahead because i'm going to kind of change it
1: i would eat liver pizza
0: you would you like liver
1: yes i think liver is fantastic
0: chicken liver oh. beef liver yeah any liver <laughs> he's, like, he's all. like all the livers hey, okay awesome. <laughs> right and i
1: i and i'm pretty sure that i've done tuna fish
0: pizza <laughs> <laughs> nice. as
3: a poor college okay. student Okay. Did you make it yourself or
0: was it something that you ordered? No, I
1: made it at home.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. No bread. Here's some pizza dough. Let's Mm -hmm. just do it. (laughs) Yeah. So So you actually were able to help him come up with some other... Um Pizza recipes. yes, so
3: he really, really fought pineapple on pizza, and I know that that is even controversial here. Oh, yeah. but one of the things that we had an abundance of was fresh fruits and be- vegetables. Mm-hmm. It's hot there. things do like we had pineapple. Mm-hmm. and I'm like, why can't we put that on the pizza? They actually came to me um, after, I couldn't tell him that it had to be pineapple. Somebody else had to tell him. And then he finally believed me after enough people said, we want pineapple. Um, They came to me with like a slice of pineapple and said, how do we do it? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, cut up the pineapple. (laughs) Put it on top. And so the chef did that. And then he brings it back. And I'm like, now just sprinkle it on top. And he's like, Like this? And I'm like, yes, just like that. Like, just put the pieces of pineapple on top of the pizza. After they tried it and they figured out that Mm -hmm. it was, like, actually a good thing, then they were trying it on every kind of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. And just so you know, being an Islamic country, Mm -hmm. there's no pork. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have pepperoni. You don't have traditional sausage. So they do have to be more creative or... I say it's creative. For them, it's just normal. Um, on their toppings for the pizzas, because you can't order a pepperoni pizza. They don't eat pepperoni. It's not halal. So they can't, it's got pork in it. Right. So, yeah, it's an interesting. Hmm. They I also put french fries up. on their pizzas. Oh. Ooh,
1: that hmm. sounds nice.
3: At, at that restaurant, yes. So you like
0: pineapple so like
1: you pine- I like, pine- pine- like, on that. My like <laughs> that some <laughs> kind of weird thing that.
2: And <laughs> let's so add carbs to our carbs. Well, yeah. Oh, yes, are you're you're already, deliciousness you're already eating <laughs> a
4: pizza. Yeah. yeah, what, what, yeah what else? So, why not
2: put cheese or meat or vegetables on it instead yeah. of. Yeah. He didn't
0: say
4: you couldn't just sprinkle <laughs> some french fries potatoes. on
2: it. Right.
3: And so, this is interesting because this is not just um, Nigerian food. Um, the people that owned and ran this restaurant were actually libyan and so it's Uh, a libyan style pizza that they did and their libyan pizza was folded in half almost like a calzone Mm -hmm. and it was delicious they would roast the chicken just right and put like onions and tomatoes in it and it was really good Hmm. so now i am craving a trip to the pizza restaurant but that'll take us you know 25 hours to get there and (laughs) can we
1: have it sent by air possibly
3: um so this is another really interesting story you say that but these same guys they were my best friends while i was there um they imported a birthday cake for me
4: oh
3: from libya Mm
4: -hmm.
3: yes they flew it all the way from libya i think it's like a four-hour flight to me Yes, it was the best birthday cake I've ever had. And it was delicious. Wow. So it was, yeah, a pretty amazing birthday
1: present. I've heard of people doing things like that with, like, people that just really got to have their Chicago pizza. And they yeah. have those things airlifted. Yeah. Air From Chicago.
3: Yeah, this was a little bit, you know, more simple. He had a friend give it to somebody else, put it on the plane. He said somebody actually carried it in their lap the entire way. I didn't ask questions. It was a delicious cake. Probably just as well.
0: Yes. Right?
3: Yes, Libyan baked goods are amazing, just in case you ever wondered. Sounds Mm.
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah. So we did talk about, like, some of the downfalls of going abroad yes <laughs> sorry I, I told her a story about abroad earlier so <laughs> tell
3: us so <laughs> I when i funny. lived in mexico years and years ago and um, i was teaching english to the president of a sugar company very nice man he had a very good grasp of english but he needed some upper level vocabulary so we were talking about um the word abroad and so i explained it to him how it's you know when someone lives in another country and lives and works there and he's like so i could say you're abroad (laughs) and i kind of paused and said no we're not gonna say that so then i'm like and now i need to explain what abroad is um. So yeah, I'm like, no, we're we're not going to say that. That <laughs> could be taken very wrongly. Mm-hmm. So Why yeah, slang
0: is so yeah, so hard to explain, mm-hmm. right? Well,
3: as soon as I told him that that could be a term, like a derogatory term for a woman, he was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and I'm like, "No, no, it's your you're okay." <laughs> I just want to warn you don't be very careful. Don't say it like that. <laughs> say you're living abroad. Yeah. So that's why now Dawn we're is. are
2: living as abroad. Right. <laughs> a different thing too. Totally different topic, Pat.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you did your bachelor's degree. Yes. And then you decided you were working for a little bit in, um, in Louisville, and then you decided to go back and get your master's. Yes. How did you even think about this as a career or something that you would want to do? How did that come about? How did you find out about it? So in
3: way, way back... I I don't want to say what year. (laughs) (laughs) The first time I lived in Mexico, I was there on a missions trip. And I worked with um, a missionary and the church he was working with. And he set up a small little class with three ladies from the church for me to teach them English. And it was very interesting. I was like, okay, um, how do we do this? And I just remember the day that we really got stuck when I said, so are you looking forward to this weekend? And they're like, what? Looking forward? What do you mean? And it took us about 20 minutes to come up with the word anticipating, Um because when you really break that down, looking forward, like what what do you mean looking forward? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like so I, I am, <laughs> yes. Like so, I saw that challenge, um, and I really enjoy languages. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in high school, I excelled at Spanish, and have you know done that since got my degree in that. But um, I learned then, after some research, that. Teaching English is something that I can do all over the world, and also I can do that here. It's something that opens me up to a lot of intercultural communication, mm-hmm. and I like to tell my students when they ask me um, why why did you why do you teach English? It's like because I can teach you my language, and we can communicate without having to learn every single one of the languages out there. If I'm teaching everybody my language, it's kind of selfish. Um, but in that, I get to learn about them. Mm-hmm. The English language classroom is awesome. It's just like any language classroom. You have to talk. You have to communicate. And to do that, you have to have real discussions. And so I get to find out what do they like? What do they not like? What's something that they do differently? Um I remember uh, talking to some of my students in in a university classroom um, in Louisville, Kentucky. They were telling me about their marriage ceremonies. And one guy was from, I want to, I I think he was from Sudan, but he was telling me that um, the taller the woman, the more valuable she is. And so tall women will likely get, you know, maybe 300 cows. <laughs> Whereas a shorter woman is not going to be as valuable. So it's just interesting. And that's another like marriage ceremonies. right? Like in Africa, the people that I talked to, it was often here we say, oh, the women's family, in, we don't do this. But traditionally, it was the woman's family that paid a dowry mm-hmm. because the man is taking on the woman into his household.
0: My husband is still waiting on his. Yes, my parents <laughs> supposed know to be that goats. They owe
3: her like four goats or something. She only valued four goats, just so you know. And they haven't paid. Um, yeah, and that was like yeah, and they going still haven't paid twenty years ago. So yeah. Oh. Um, Anyway. It was too late. He can't send you back now.
0: So. Oh, thanks, Denise. That is helpful, right? So he totally got her for free. Uh,
3: he took her in. Had no idea. Swindled him. And, but in Africa, um, I was talking to a friend, and he said that they the man pays the dowry, and I am like, that's interesting. So you're basically buying a bride. (laughs) He's like, no, no. Um, He goes, we have to pay something, otherwise we'd marry all the women. (laughs) And seeing that it's legal to marry more than one woman, like, (laughs) yes, they have to be able to afford them. So it's just an interesting cultural difference that, again... Everywhere you go, it's so different that you're like, "What? What? What are you talking about?" And that's funny. I love learning it. Did I answer okay. your question? Um. <laughs> oh, we were talking about ESL and how I got into ESL and why. I think just you know
0: traveling. <laughs> it was interesting, and, and it, it's just really something that you're you're. Yeah, interested I in.
3: love learning about other cultures and learning what they do differently and. Like we think it's strange or or weird, but I learned a long time ago that it's not strange or weird. It's just different and mm-hmm. everything like it's normal for them. That's what they do. And so it's really cool to learn and we can learn from them. There's a lot of things that we can learn from other cultures. And I enjoy that.
0: And I'm sure if you talk about your
3: life here and growing up here, they're like, man, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> hey, yes. Yeah. And it, I found it interesting um, when talking to some of them. Like, I one of my jobs was working with people who got some sort of fellowship or um, an award that allowed them to come to the United States, maybe to study or mm-hmm. to do some sort of um, academic. Something, whether it was, like, an internship or whatever, yeah. some of them were really afraid to come here mm-hmm. um, because all they know is what they see in the movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they see a lot of shoot em up movies, and they're, they're like, I'm so afraid to go there. And it's like, you're going to be fine. like, And so just, like, explaining to them, mm-hmm. and, you know, explaining to them why some things are different, like, why we do things differently than them. Yeah. You know, they just don't even... No, it, it's mm-hmm. like us with people from other countries. We're like, why are they doing that? And so I'm in a unique situation that I get to say, this is why I do that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting, not just for me, but I get to learn from them and they learn from me. The scary part is I'm often to those people, the only American they've ever met. So I'm representing Everyone and Don will tell you that <laughs> that's scary because <laughs> they think I'm normal. So. <laughs> Excuse
0: me. So one of the things that you had told me, um, since you've been back, you've been um, searching for positions like at universities because they have a program. What is that? The program, the just the... An English
3: language program. Okay. So So oftentimes universities will have an English language program where they have international students come in specifically to learn English. They may be planning to stay at the university to study, but sometimes they're just there for English. Um, And if it's an intensive program, that means that they go every day full time like they
0: just study English. Mm -hmm. So not mentioning any universities but you were recently at one that the program several years ago had over 600 um, students yes and now they have
3: i think it's like 120 and this is something that is not unique to them um i worked at a program in kentucky that um once when i went to their head office they had had, five years ago, 250 students. Mm-hmm. When I went, the more recent time, I think they had 20-some. The number of students had just dropped off. So,
2: Is, is this because of, of our changing immigration policies? It is so very much due to of, that.
3: Okay. A lot of students are having difficulties getting visas mm-hmm. to come in, yeah. which then makes it difficult for those international students to come. Um, I know that my friend in Niger, she was talking to a student who had been completely um, accepted into a program. I want to say it was either Southern California or in Colorado, but she had been accepted into the English language program and conditionally accepted into the university, which usually means that they will be... Um, given a visa to come and study for that certain amount of time, but the problem was is they wouldn't do her interview in French because they had a policy now that they had to do the interview in English. Her English language level was not high enough to do the interview in English. She couldn't get a visa to come, and so that's so one the of the visa- hindrances
2: interview or Yes, the visa over. interview.
3: Like when they when they apply for visas, we we know nothing about this right. because we don't have to do it. You get online
2: um, and say, "I want a visa to this country."
3: And a okay. lot of times that what that's what happens. Yeah. But when people in other countries, um I don't know about European countries, and I know there is a variance <coughs> of mm-hmm. where you're from, but they have to apply and then um After their paperwork has been reviewed, then they're invited to an interview, Mm -hmm. and then it's determined whether or not they're accepted or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one student, and I don't know the policy or if this is the norm, but I was told that she wasn't allowed to do it in French, so she couldn't get the visa. Um, And so she wasn't able to come to the English language program, which is, again, why a lot of English programs are suffering right Mm -hmm. now. Um, they're closing down. I know that um, where I was before, the university had closed their English language program. Um, my English language program that I was directing closed, and so that left um, two small English language programs in the city. And it's a, you know it's a big city, but an English language program doesn't necessarily need that many people working at it. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it hard to find right.
0: positions when everybody's just trying to hang on. But one of the the interesting things is that other countries are not suffering. No,
3: they're not. Well, because English is used. It's the lingua franca. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting, right? It is the language that is used all over the world for business, mm-hmm. and so if someone from China is doing business with someone in Niger, they're going to speak English. Right. Um, right now, it's you know debated as to whether Chinese will become mm-hmm. the lingua franca in mm-hmm. the future, but for now, it's English, and so everyone that wants to be successful in business or in their professional lives has to learn some English. And so, and especially like for native speakers who have any sort of background, um, like I have my master's degree, I can go to a lot of places. I could go to China or I could go to Japan. I could go to South Korea. There's a lot of places that I could go work. Um, just teaching in the classroom.
0: Okay, so these are the like the jobs that you are more specific to, I guess, your education yes. and all that. Yes. But um, something that I found interesting was that there are a lot of different government jobs.
3: Government and, and non-government.
0: Well, and you had sent me... Um, sorry, Pat, I think I've told you this before. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> it was her fault. Um, sent me a um, a job um, link for the Smithsonian to be a librarian at the Smithsonian. Yes, in DC, and I just never even thought about that. That the S- Smithsonian is a government job. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's so weird. It's
3: amazing how many government jobs are out there, and like almost any field you can think of there's something there medical fields um engineering librarians um there's something out there i've looked at jobs um i've never applied but i've seen linguist jobs at the cia um i've seen um nutritionists or um computer technology really just anything you need the government needs those things, too, in different ways. And you do have a lot of positions that are overseas. Um, they have, with the State Department and with other agencies, there's a ton of foreign service um, positions that you can go work in an embassy. Or um, they have a specialist position that is an office management Position, which is often like the person who is like the executive assistant to an ambassador. Hmm. Um, Which you have to do all of the things that like an executive assistant would do here. But you have to do that in a foreign country, working with people like presidents of foreign countries, you know, figuring out how can we set up a schedule Hmm. and how can we do this and arranging all of those things. Um, There are people that work specifically um, in political areas. There are people that work specifically with um, economics. Um, Public diplomacy was the one that I worked most closely with. Um, They did a lot of things working in that country to create a mutual relationship, a mutual understanding. Not only did we want to learn and share things about their country and help them understand the value like in Niger, showing them the value of their culture and the richness of like the different um, people groups that are there and their languages and so they would have contests on photography contests or they would have um, workshops on poetry or, you know, various things, not always in English, but sometimes in English. um, And one of their goals is to improve English, because it benefits the United States, if more people speak English, and we can work with them, it benefits us in a mutual understanding, it benefits us in trade. So yeah, it is one of the goals. So English language is one of their, Hmm. their things. And of course, it depends on the person that's that's in charge of that area at the time. Some people are like, we need to focus on English. And other people are like, no, we're going to focus more on entrepreneurship or mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, it's it's interesting.
0: So these jobs, where do you find them?
3: USAjobs.gov. And so expanding on that, those are the ones that are available through the U.S. government. There are also jobs that are not U.S. government. You've got all of the jobs with the U.N., which are not U.S. government. They're United Nations. Um, And again, they have a whole gamut of things that they need. Um, You also have the NGOs, which are the non-governmental organizations, Um, Save the Children. So these organizations, there's hundreds of them in various countries doing various things whether they're helping um the country secure their water or teaching them hygiene or um helping them develop industry or helping them develop their agriculture they're out there helping them grow and develop in different ways and they need all
0: sorts of people as well and those aren't necessarily just nonprofit organizations the, the NGOs? I think
3: they typically are nonprofit. Okay. Yes. They're not always American. I had friends that worked with um, NGOs that were um, Italian, German, different ones, and they don't hire specifically their own nationality. Mm-hmm. If you have the skills that they need, they're open. I've heard that it's harder to get into um, you have to kind of show that that's what you want to do because it is not something that they take lightly when they're putting you in, not just in Niger where I was in the city, but out in the country in a smaller village where it's going to be even harder to to get things and it could be more dangerous. Mm-hmm. They They want somebody who knows what they're getting into because people go there. Um, for example, in Niger, the person that was there as the English language fellow before me, I think only lasted about six weeks. The one that was there after me um, started in October and left before Christmas. Mm. For their own personal reasons, it was just not a fit.
0: Well, and How long were you
3: there? I was yeah. there for two years.
0: Okay. Loved it. Would go back in an instant. So the, um, the assignments were one year 10 months. 10 months. And then you were able to re-up if you wanted to just one time, I think? Yes. Um, And then you had to go to a different country.
3: And so to be clear, the English Language Fellowship is technically a one-assignment, 10-month contract. They do not say that they are going to renew you. They say that there may be a possibility for renewal. Um, And then... To do it a second time, we had to reapply. I've recently looked at it, and I don't think they're allowing people to reapply right now because they have enough. They're focused on getting as many people the experience mm. as possible. That's what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you can build a career out of. Um, and something that I'm, I feel like I'm neglecting here is we focus a lot on the differences and the negatives in a country, but... When I was in Niger, I was working with competent professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't me by myself trying to like fix things. It was me working with a group of people that was like, "We want to educate this group. You have some ideas. How can we make it fit?" And um, it was. I just want to make sure that we know that like there are definitely highly educated, Mm -hmm. competent people there, they just need help sometimes. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to make change, and Mm -hmm. that's not always easy, and especially in a country that's very steeped in tradition. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's easier for an outsider to give a new idea, and it's more accepted than it is for
0: somebody that is from there.
2: It's like parenthood right yes yeah,
0: your children won't ever listen to you but they listen or the to parents else.
3: won't listen to the children they say this is how we do it sit down <laughs> right but that's right <laughs> to be. so
0: do y'all have any other questions no, i don't think so it's all very fascinating though mm-hmm. isn't very it interesting yeah, yeah. well that's, that's funny
3: because i'm like it's just life yeah
0: <laughs> normal Well, and I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you in is because it's it's something that not very many people do, but I think it's also not very well known that there are these kinds of positions out there, and so people in the community, just educating them that there's other things Mm -hmm. available. Well, and and that
3: was something that was interesting. When I was younger, I did have the interest in doing this sort of thing, but I had no idea how to go about it. If I would have known that there were um, positions, for example, with the State Department that you could, um, mind you, they are highly competitive and Mm -hmm. it is very hard to get them, but you can work towards that. I Mm -hmm. had no idea what that was all about. Um, I applied for a government job several years ago, and they're like, oh, well, you need to take this civil service exam. And I'm like, okay, what's that? And so not knowing anything, I just showed up and took the exam. Did not pass it. Um, By the way. (laughs) But I had no idea about this process. So to become a foreign service officer, just a general foreign service officer, you submit your application and take a test, Um, an online test. If you pass the test, then they send you some questions, Um, For example, um, give me an example where you've shown leadership skills. I I mean, it might be something like that. In, like, 1,300 words, you need to tell them how you've shown the leadership skills, what the outcome was, et cetera, and tell me someone that can verify that and their phone number because they may call and check on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you've got, like, 13 or so of these questions that you have to answer if you pass those questions, oh, I forgot part of the test, you also have to write an essay. Okay. You have twenty minutes to write a, an essay on a given topic. Um, so then you get the questions. After the questions, if you've passed all of that, then they can invite you to an interview. I've never made it to the interview on that on the generalist mm. um track, but from what I understand, it's um more less of an interview and more of a case study like they watch you and see how you handle yourself Mm. in a given situation um i think there may be some interview questions but Mm -hmm. i think there's i again i don't know i've never seen i've only like researched it um if you pass the interview then you go on to um do your security clearances and your medical clearances. Once you get through the medical clearances, you then go on a list based on your scores in the interview. Um, when you're on the list, if you the highest score is pulled up first for a job, mm-hmm. you get invited to an orientation class. Once you're invited to the orientation class, you're in. Um, wow. So... I have been in this process for a different for a specialist position which is a regional English language officer mm-hmm. um, I applied in February of 2017 mm-hmm. no 2018 I'm sorry it's been a year and a half mm-hmm. now and I am going through the clearance processes and um, but there's a lot of just not hearing anything. It's a very long process. And I think a lot of people just kind of give up. Um, but there's always the chance that they're going to say, because the clearances are not just, yes, you look good or no. They dig into everything, mm-hmm. every aspect of your life. I had to go through a full medical clearance and, um, which means going to your doctor they did all sorts of tests um then you have to submit a form that is about 120 pages long that gives all of the information about everything in your life whether it's who you know who you've lived with um for the last seven years they ask all about um any alcohol or drug use any um gambling issues, they ask all sorts of questions, because they're trying to see if you're going to be giving up national secrets or not. (laughs) I mean, it's important to know that, you know, if somebody gets you cornered or kidnaps you, are you going to give away information? Can they blackmail you? That Mm. sort of um, thing. So they're, they're checking on that. um, And then after that, then they have what is called a suitability clearance, which is then from what, My perspective, um, my understanding is, are you a good fit for this job? Are you a good Mm -hmm. fit for the State Department? Are you going to cause international headlines? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, they want to see, do you make good choices? Mm -hmm. Um, And so when they're looking at you, they're looking at everything and making this determination. So it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Every single one of the people that's overseas has gone through this process and
2: and they still screw up. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, wow. we all do. <laughs> like I have to kind of defend them. Wow. So. So it's it's not easy. No, so, it's and not it's a, easy. It's, it's a very
3: competitive. They say only approximately what I've read is about three percent of the people that apply wow. actually get hired, or maybe it's three percent of the people that pass the test. I think it might be 3% of the people that pass the test. So
2: not even 3% of yeah. the people who apply.
3: Yeah. Like they definitely, there's a strong weeding out of people. Mm-hmm. And there's, I, I want to say, and I'm just guessing here, I'm thinking 30,000 people in the Foreign Service. Mm. So there's a lot of people all over the world that have gone through this process and hung on for, mm-hmm. like I said, I've been in the process for over a year and a half now,
2: so. And part of it's apparently just perseverance.
1: Yes. It sounds like a lot of it is they they want to know that, and part of it is they want to know that you want to do this. Not, exactly. It's not just a job. Right. It's not just, oh, I want to go to a foreign country. It's This is something I'm really... Right, passionate like, about and, and want to do
3: i'm willing to do all of this mm-hmm. to make this mm-hmm. happen
1: so what you're saying is don't don't just think like oh that'd be a cool job and, and yeah go, right. and go because it's not, not that gonna, easy yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah but they take people with any degree um it's not about what degree you have they do i believe they do want people with college degrees um but it doesn't matter what degree um so you finally can apply you can put take that, that philosophy
0: that degree to use
3: <laughs> yes see there you go <laughs> i mean philosophy public diplomacy i think it works well <laughs> yeah. together you know
0: everybody wants to know the meaning of life <laughs> yeah so and just one last thing if you don't get your clearance within a certain amount of time you have to start over in the process
3: i don't know how that works from what I understand is my um, time limitation actually starts after I get my clearance. So they will continue doing the investigation until they're done. Um, the average is 450 days for an inv- investigation is what I've read. Um oh But I've seen people that have gotten it in a couple months. So it just depends on your background and what you've got. I've traveled overseas. I have a lot of people that I know. I've been a lot of places. I have a lot of stamps on my passport. Mm -hmm. And they have to investigate all of that. Mm. Um, Other people have um, never... Left Mm -hmm. their home city, they know five people, they've been in the same job, they might be easier to investigate. Mm -hmm. So once you're on the register, which happens after you've been cleared from everything, um, once you're on the register, I believe you can be on the register for 18 months. And then you have to start it all over. But there's kind of a trick. I may be in the middle of the process now, mm-hmm. but if it comes open again for the position that I've applied for, I can apply again. Which then, if I get my clearance, just extends my time. Mm. Like, it, it starts over with a hopefully a higher score mm. because now that I've been through the process, I can see it. Um, and I can see that, okay... These are the questions mm-hmm. that they may or may not ask. This is what they're looking for. I know how to study now. There are, like, they have whole guides um, talking about the 13 dimensions that they're
0: looking for. Dimensions. Yes. <laughs> 13 dimensions. Leadership, <laughs> communication.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow.
3: Yeah. So it, it's a big, a big thing, mm-hmm. but it's open to a lot of people. So. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's fascinating and I am excited for you that you are able to do it because I know I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't go by myself, but it would just be traumatic for me. Mm-hmm.
3: I think you could.
0: Okay, thank you. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people don't you'll just accept
3: that and not. right. <laughs> right. A yeah. lot of people underestimate the abilities that they have. Like I met a lot of people overseas. I've met a couple that shouldn't have been there. And I've met people that should not ever try. Um, but I don't think you're one of them. Um, my friend, I, I don't want to necessarily use her name, but she was phenomenal. She was in her low 60s. I think she was about 62, I want to say. Um, she was in West Africa in a country. Um, she just decided, oh, and she had had a battle with cancer. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I need to live my life. And so she accepted a fellowship, went to West Africa, and she was one of the one that was hearing the gunshots outside of her house. So she, like, and she loved it. Like, she loved West Africa. She loved the people. She has friends that will be friends forever. So, yeah, it, I think there's a lot of people that don't expect themselves to be able to do it that really could
0: that's really cool so if you're interested that
3: one so for the english language fellowship it's at el programs um i think dot that go? is dot org another interesting thing is that some of the countries that people think they want to be in are the ideal countries for traveling and for visiting but not necessarily to live in. Mm -hmm. And so that's something to look at. So like the Philippines, there was so many people there. And everyone that I worked with had to travel two hours to get to work, at least two hours. Some of them traveled three to four hours in the morning and three to four hours at night just to get home. They didn't have time to hang out and be my friend outside of work. Um, And so that was an aspect. Everybody was commuting for literally half of their day they don't really have time to make it a homey situation for you another place that you would think is not the ideal so like niger that you're like in the middle of the desert in west africa it's hot it's dirty the people are amazing and so welcoming they are in the philippines too they just don't have time um, <laughs> but they have time and like It's one of the most amazing places because you are isolated. So guess what? Those 500 people that are in the country that are expats, they all become friends because you've only got each other. (laughs) So it's really an interesting thing. And I've heard that um, posts like in Paris are great to visit, but not great places to live. Hmm. I, I don't know. I've never been to Paris, but so it's interesting have to be open-minded to those Mm -hmm. adventures. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Wow. All right, well... Oh, I'm sorry. Can I end with one more story? Of course. Okay, so one day while I was in Niger, I bought a little car while I was there. And you have to know that it is in the middle of the desert and there are not many paved roads. So a lot of the roads that we were on were sand. It was also a common sight to see camels and donkeys... Mm -hmm walking along the street with somebody leading them, maybe a six-year-old boy. Um, So one day I was on my way home and I was listening to, I want to say it's Iggy Azalea, the um, I'm So Fancy song, Mm -hmm. where she says, I'm so fancy, you already know. And she says... I'm in the fast lane from LA to Tokyo. So I am jamming to that song. And I'm like, I'm in the fast lane from LA to Tokyo. And then I looked up and realized I was stuck behind a donkey cart going about two miles an hour. And I'm like, this is not the fast lane. And <laughs> um, so it was definitely a different speed. It was a very funny, fo- funny moment in my life, a realization. Um, I could go on with stories of cows on top of cars
0: and, you know, but, yeah. The, the baguettes in the back of the car. Baguettes in the back of the car. Not wrapped. The, <laughs> no. They're no. just thrown in there. I
3: have pictures. They're just stacked in the trunk of, like, the back of a station wagon. Um, <laughs> the side of beef that was on top of the car that was strapped on, and I'm like, that is going to be my dinner at some point. And it's because 100 it's, and plus degrees. Yeah, it's 100 and – oh, and sand everywhere. Like, blowing sand um, like nothing is clean, and he's driving down the car with this unwrapped side of beef just laying on top of the car, and um, the cows that they like live cows that they just strap on top of the van to transport them from one place to another. Um, you have a truck that is like 25 feet tall, and there's a layer of goats on the top, and the fact that like that just becomes normal. Like it, you don't even blink. At, like after a while, you're just like, uh huh.
0: Whatever. Like what? What? Are you- <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. That was mm-hmm. very interesting. Thanks for having me. Yes. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for joining us on the long overdue podcast. <laughs>